say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right. Right now, oh, right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you in worship again. Um, I invite you at this time to stand up if you're able as we begin our service exalting the King of all kings. Would you sing along with us? He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted and I. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high, and I will praise Him, He is exalted, forever exalted. the Lord. King of all kings, and his name is Jesus. He is the king forevermore, and we are going to continue to sing to him, for he is better than anything that we can think or imagine or have on this earth. I invite you to continue singing with us as we sing, Jesus is better. There is no other so sure and steady. My hope is held in your hand. When castles crumble and breath is fleeting, upon this rock I will stand. 
upon this rock I will stand. Let's give him all the glory this morning. Glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring, we crown him Lord of Take a seat for a minute. Good morning and welcome to Cypress Bible Church uh, for worship this morning. Whether you are with us in person or watching, watching us online, we're just awfully glad that you're here to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with us. Psalm 34 says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And that's our desire today. Cypress Bible Church is a church that goes... It gathers in life-changing worship, we grow in life-changing truth, and we go in life-changing mission. And we're happy and delighted to have you be a part of that journey with us. Um, one of the ways that you can serve in our local uh, church this month, in the month of November, there's this holiday at the end of the month, it's called Thanksgiving, and we have adopted a nearby school, Moore Elementary, 
And uh, the, we have seven Thanksgiving baskets uh, that are yet to be claimed. So if you'd like to bless a family at Moore Elementary, stop by the Go kiosk, and one of those uh, Thanksgiving baskets could be assigned to you. Other thing I'd like to address is our um, current uh, series that we're going through on prayer. Um, together we pray. There's these really cute little three-ring binders um, that you can pick up in the uh, commons area. We're halfway through the series, and uh, we're coming into our fourth week. Um, and reminder to you is every day at 8.30, that's 8.30 a.m., 8.30 p.m., you can join the Zoom link, and you can pray with others in the church. Uh, you can also not click on the Zoom link and just pray uh, yourself. Uh, the prayer guides that we have in here will lead you to pray each day. And so think about that. Think about how wonderful that is. Is you know, Set your alarm on your clock um, or on your watch at 8.30 a.m. and p.m. and join us to pray. And so we're going to be praying this week uh, for the leaders of our church that they would equip uh, other believers uh, to serve um, the body of Christ. And uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 tells us, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Would you pray with me now? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would encourage our church leaders, that you would strengthen them and protect their commitment to serve you. Give them the wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and courage to train and equip believers to be your church. Pray into them, pour into them, Father, and guide them as they pour into us. Lord, you are our foundation, and we pray that you would supernaturally gift our leaders to build up the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping this morning, singing how deep the Father's love for us. I invite you, uh, as you're able again, to stand with us. Bonnie's going to lead. Let's sing out along with her. Should I gain from 
this morning, singing about things that unite us, that we are all different and created differently and designed differently for a purpose. And whether it's your first time here or your thousandth time here, that's true. But there are things that are true that unite us all, and we sing of those together in this song, This I Believe. Would you join with our voices together? Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. Here's the chorus, I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. last chorus, last verse. I believe in life eternal. 
you this morning for it is for your glory that we are here. Amen. Well, last uh, weekend at this time, uh, my wife and I were desperate for direction from the Lord as uh, we look for him to specifically guide us in decision about whether to uh, stay here with this ministry as he's called us to or to receive a call to another ministry. And uh, that was not an easy decision for us and we struggled with it and we're glad that uh, many of you were praying with us and for us in that um, some of you were praying against us. That's okay, too. But we asked the Lord for clear direction. And uh, last Saturday, we struggled mightily with that and uh, uh, did not know which way to go. Uh, but then, uh, as uh, I did announce, and most of you are probably aware, uh, the Lord brought that clarity. And so earlier this week, accepted the call to uh, Pastor church called the worship place in georgetown uh texas and plan to be with you and continue here preaching through ecclesiastes uh lord willing and uh, then a few other sermons before our uh, last uh sunday here december 12th but uh appreciate the uh the messages the emails of of support and um um just opinion that have been shared, and uh, I, I typically am one who responds to every message as quickly as I possibly can, and I am well, way behind, and I apologize and trust that uh, I'll get back to everyone eventually, uh, but if not, uh, know that I've appreciated what you have uh, shared with us. This morning, uh, we want to uh, continue on here through Ecclesiastes and what God has for us. Uh, earlier this year, the Charlotte Observer published a piece about how COVID brought a loss of community relationships. And uh, th this article emphasized, emphasized that in addition to family and close friends, that the loss of casual relationships actually hurt us as well. This is very important to our well-being. And the article quoted two therapists who said that there are certain things that we need socially, and one of those is to feel connected to people. And they said, we've missed those connections, whether at the library, in the grocery store, with coworkers, at the coffee shop, or in church. And the therapists agreed that all those things that they encouraged for, for clients to help with their mental health were not possible over that year in particular. And after reading that article earlier this week, my concern is that for many people, they will not return to face-to-face -face community. And, uh, and that is true even in church. Uh, read this study as well, uh, that uh, in 2019, only 14% of adults in the U.S. said that they never attended church. 14%. In 2020, 53% of U.S. adults said they never attended church. And the partial study this year is saying that that trend is continuing. So, so that loss of community... God created us with a need for that. Uh, even an animated movie emphasized that. I, I watched, I think it was 20 years ago, Ice Age, uh, with at least one of my daughters. And um, in one scene, Manfred the man mammoth risks his life to rescue Diego the tiger. And Diego asks, why did you do that? You could have died. And Manfred responds, that's what you do when you're part of a herd. You look after each other. Well, as we continue our study through Ecclesiastes this morning, it affirms this need 
that we have, God created, to be part of a herd. The, the puzzling book of Ecclesiastes was written by the wisest man who ever lived with all the money and power to experience everything he ever wanted. He refers to himself, I believe here, as the teacher throughout this. So, and, and the teacher takes us on a journey of trying to find meaning for life on this planet. And throughout the book, he describes many different detours in the search for ultimate satisfaction. He, he tries money, sex, and power. He tries the arts and music and collections and parties and on and on. Any form of gratification that he can dream of, he tries. And yet he comes away empty in his search. Now we are in chapter 4, and the teacher proves why we need community. In fact, I would point out to you in dividing this text, this chapter into three sections, three reasons why we need godly community, that that is what the teacher has for us today in Ecclesiastes 4. Um, the, the first two of these, these are overarching reasons, overarching reasons. And, and the first two will, will go more quickly than the third one. That one encompasses a lot. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to that, Lord willing, here if I don't uh, keel over and die before the end of this. So three reasons why we need godly community. Let's begin in verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. All right, the key word here is oppression. The, the Hebrew uh, word is shock, and it occurs three times in verse 1 alone. That, that thrice mention uh, of this word uh, emphasizes the ever-present reality of this sin, this evil of oppression. And, and again, this is oppression that's under the sun. And that phrase, under the sun, repeated throughout Ecclesiastes, refers to life on this planet apart from God. So under the sun is life on this planet apart from God. Oppression is not the way it should be. It is the way it is, however. And that's what uh, the teacher tells us. So what, what does this oppression look like in Scripture? This, this word of shock is a, you follow it through Scripture and, and you, you find it. Let, let me start with some of the more minor aspects of what oppression is. Leviticus 6 says that this oppression is cheating your neighbor. It's lying to those around you. It's not returning something you borrowed. My wife came across something she borrowed just yesterday, and she's had it for a long time. That needs to come back today to somebody. That's oppression if you keep it. Uh, if, if you keep lost property, it's oppression. So two weeks ago when I was here last between or after one of the services, somebody came up to me. I, I remember his name because he, he shared it with me. And he had in his hand a, a, I think it was a crumpled 20. I didn't take a close look. It might have been more bills than that. I don't know. He said, on the way in, just outside uh, on the sidewalk, I found these bills. What should I do with them? And I said, well, you see that box back there? I think you should probably go put it in that offering box back there. And he said, well, I thought I would do that, but I, I wanted to check and, and make sure. And I, I said, good, good man. And, and as he turned around to leave, he stopped again, and he said, I just want you to know, I could have kept that, you know. And I said, no, yeah, I, I realize you could have kept that. Good man. No one would have known. But in, in a sense, that's, that's keeping uh, lost property when you could have had a pretty good idea of, what that might have been intended for on the sidewalk on the way in the church. And you can't hold up a, a bill and say, whose is this? Because that's not going to work, right? That's, uh, so, so I think that was an appropriate way to do it. But in, in some small sense, that's oppression, according to Leviticus 6. Deuteronomy 24 describes a shock, oppression, as taking advantage of an employee. So you... Uh, have an employee of whatever it is, somebody you hire to do your lawn or someone in your business or a whole bunch of people, you take advantage of them, that's oppression. And, and the text in De De Deuteronomy 24 says, whether that person is a citizen or an immigrant, somebody who doesn't belong to your country, you, you take advantage of them, you're oppressing them. Ezekiel 22 calls a shock, calls oppression 
an abuse of power against the vulnerable, whether that vulnerable person is poor or a widow or an orphan or a stranger. You take advantage of them, that's oppression. You abuse power against them, that's oppression. So it's payday loans at sky-high interest, that's oppression for those who are disadvantaged. It's going after profit without regard for the rights and the needs of other people. That's oppression. And that's the way the world is apart from God. The world is a miserable place for oppressed people. They have no one to comfort them when there's no one there to comfort them. And that comfort, the word here is not just kind words, it's actual help and protection. So the the principle that we're seeing here, we need community to combat oppression. That's what community is for, godly community. It combats oppression. Solomon says the dead are better off than the oppressed because at least they're at rest. And better off than the dead or the living are those who have never been born. Isn't this exciting? Why? Because they haven't seen the misery of oppression. So please don't let your news feed... Please don't let your allegiance to a political party, whatever that is, please don't let your economic philosophy shape your worldview. Because I would tell you right now, no matter what news feed you have, no matter which political party you are part of, no matter which economic philosophy you adhere to, none of them consistently mesh with Scripture. They do mess with it, but they don't mesh with it. None of them. So we must have our worldview shaped by Scripture through what Jesus teaches by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a godly community offers help and protection from the oppression, from oppression. It at very least comforts the oppressed as well as calling out the oppressor. All right, so that's the first reason we need community, godly community, to combat oppression. Let's move on to verse 4. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So here's the second reason we need godly community. To increase contentment. To increase contentment. The teacher addresses this drive that, seems to come naturally to us to keep up with the Joneses or to outdo our neighbor or to to be envious over what others have and achieve and experience. Envy over your neighbor who has more uh, means that as you attempt to climb up to reach or at least level up with that neighbor, that involves stepping on the neighbor below you. And the other extreme, he says, is not working at all. That's the fool's way to go about it. Just folding your hand and eating yourself alive, ruining yourself. The best option, he says, is to have tranquility. That is peace of mind. To be content with what you have. As Proverbs 29.9 says, meaningless striving only produces rage, mockery, jealousy. So this striving for things that is meaningless But when you're in a godly community, you don't envy. You you don't strive. Instead, you rejoice with those who rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. Uh, Because instead of striving to get ahead of your neighbor in community, you live in harmony with them. And absent that kind of community, inside it, you're able to be happy and rejoice with those who, because you love them, you care about them. Things have gone well for them and you rejoice or they're in sorrow. So you weep with them. And if you're absent that kind of community, you're all alone. And that's the other person the teacher addresses. He describes someone who works for their entire life with their eye on some goal. And what is that goal? Well, there's no one to share their labor. There's no one to share their enjoyment. There's no one to share their accumulation. 
There's an absence of community. And without community, you lack purpose. And what are you driven by? You're driven only by your own ambitions, your own desires, your own ego. Several years ago, singer Lady Gaga had a Netflix documentary done about her life. And I can't recommend it. I haven't seen it. But there were previews that were released to social media that I have seen. And there she confessed how fame has left her empty. And in a heartbreaking phone conversation in one of these previews with her best friend, celebrity stylist Brandon Maxwell, she said this through tears. She said, I'm all alone, Brandon, every night, and all these people will leave, right? They will leave, and then I'll be alone. And I go from everyone touching me all day and talking at me all day to total silence. Yeah, 1 Timothy 6 talks about the emptiness of of wealth and stuff and how you can't take anything out of this world. It says godliness with contentment is great gain. You can have everything, but without community, the community that God created you to desire, there is no contentment. So why do you need godly community? Well, you need it to combat oppression, number one. You need it to increase contentment, number two. And here's number three. We need community to improve outcomes. Outcomes. See, in the last half of this chapter, Solomon gives five real-life examples of why it's good not to be alone. In all five of these situations, you will have a better outcome, you will have a better result if you give up your independent spirit and embrace community. And and so all of these came under this one heading. This is an overarching theme about why you need godly community, to improve outcome, to improve results. So let's go through each of these five examples and see what uh, is being talked about. The first one is community improves the outcome of work, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. This is a proverb. Solomon, of course, wrote a lot of proverbs. We have a a book in our Hebrew Bible bearing that title, many of which are from Solomon. And let me tell you one thing that people get confused about regarding proverbs. Proverbs are not promises. That's probably the only thing you need to remember about that. Proverbs are not promises. So they're not some guarantee of this is what's absolutely going to happen. Uh, Proverbs are aphorisms that are generally true. They're observations. They're the things that are generally true in in life. And and, uh, that's what verse 9 is. Um, It's generally true. And right away you can think of exceptions when two are not better than one or there's not a good return. In fact, there's a meme that's been around for a long time and, and and it goes like this. When I die... I want the people I did group projects with to lower me into my grave so they can let me down one last time. If you've ever done a group project, you know exactly what that means. So two are not always better than one in some respects. But this is generally true. And the word work here or toil is nonspecific. It's any type of responsibility It's saying anything that you do will benefit from a companion. There will be larger profit. There will be greater success. There will be better efficiency through cooperation. We accomplish more together. Companionship is God's means of increasing the the fruitfulness of our labor. Uh, Let me tell you that your best investment in this life will not be a financial one, but rather the investment made in relationships. A friend helps you to higher levels of achievement. And that's why God created the church, that together we would fulfill his purpose in this world. Together we make a difference, not by sitting next to one another, but by standing shoulder to shoulder doing ministry together. Even the great apostle Paul surrounded himself with others. I'll give you many examples of that, but, but one of the familiar ones is 2 Timothy 4.11, where he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he's profitable to me in the ministry. If we are unwilling to be in relationship with others, it means we aren't serious about fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Second, 
community improves the outcome in your failures. Verse 10. If one falls down, his friend can can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. So that fall that's being referenced here can be physical and real, or it can be a slip in judgment, uh, an emotional collapse, a disastrous decision. But how tragic, it says, to be on your own or to be abandoned or to have no one notice when you go down. Years ago when I was uh, in Toronto, an evangelical leader that I was acquainted with had a moral failure, and uh, it made news clearly, and I knew that he was being abandoned. I knew this because his in-laws were part of my church, and they said, we will never speak to him again. And they were not alone. So I, I just felt compelled that I would reach out to this brother and just tell him I, I would pray for him and I would be there to provide whatever he, he, he needed. And he didn't take me up on that, but, but I put myself in his shoes. Like if I, if I was in that situation, I would want someone to reach out to help me. Who was he surrounding himself with was the question I had. So when you're in a hole, who will be there to pull you out? Frankly, we're not too good about recognizing our own shortcomings and mistakes. We're not. This is 40 years of pastoral counseling talking. We're not very good at recognizing that. Uh, We need people around us willing to tell you the truth. Friends who can tell me when I've fallen. A few others who care enough to warn me before I fall and pull me out when I do. A group. A group. A community has a a wonderful ability to get us focused on God rather than ourselves. And without a group, we'll likely never recognize how out of focus we've become. James 5 says that when a brother wanders into sin, those who bring him back are lifesavers. For our personal safety, we need to be in community. Paul's friends, you just consider uh, Acts 24, 23 and Acts 27, 3. It mentions specifically his friends who cared for him, who came to him, who helped him when he was on trial, when he was in prison. And so to the extent that we stand alone and we keep others out, we may get into a hole from which we will never escape. That's why we need community. Third, community improves the outcome when you need comfort when you need comfort verse 11 also if two lie down together they will keep warm but how can one keep warm alone so the picture here it's a metaphor really but it's a picture of travelers huddling together for warmth on a cold night in the desert but the metaphor is simply to illustrate how we need others to provide comfort when circumstances are against us or circumstances are out of our control We need the emotional strength that other people have when we are weak. We need warmth to survive in a cold-hearted world. And it's not that we can't get all that we need from God himself. It is that God chooses to dispense some help and comfort through others. So to try and stand on our own means we'll never get warm. Our fervency for Christ, our spiritual lives will never get white hot if we avoid relationship with each other. And, And... It happens as others help us to reach new levels. And you say, you don't know the people around me. They're not helping me reach anything. These are, these are bad people. These are, these are not encouraging people. Well, let me tell you that there's crazy people can help you reach new levels too, right? People, people who are the worst can help you do that, drive you to God. That's a big community. It doesn't mean it's all flowers and roses, that there are ways in which God uses other people in our lives to shape us and to challenge us, to stir us up as we meet together. We're changed, we're charged, we're warmed. In 1 Samuel 23, David learned that Saul was coming to kill him. And uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David, and the scripture says, helped him find strength in God. I love that. Who in your life helps you find strength in God? Because you need that, and so do I. Do you have a single relationship for whom that's true? William White tells about a seminary professor named Hans. Hans was warm and gentle and beloved by his students. He brought scripture to life for them. And Hans and his wife Enid were very much in love. They would take long walks together and hold hands and sit close in church. And, And then one day Enid suddenly died. 
and it overwhelmed Hans with sorrow. He wouldn't eat. He had four seminary friends who began to visit him regularly, but he remained lonely and depressed. And he said, I am no longer able to pray. I'm not certain I believe in God anymore. And his friends said, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. And so they met with him every single day, asking God to restore their dear friend. And months went by. And one day Hans smiled and he said, it's no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today I would like you to pray with me. The dark night of the soul had passed and they had carried them him on their prayers. That's why we need community, because we need comfort. Fourth, community improves the outcome in your conflicts. Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So when you're being attacked, there's protection, there's safety in numbers. When your troubles are overwhelming, don't be caught alone. Three is a number of completeness. We've seen that in this text twice already. Uh, Even better and stronger together. Uh, Companionship isn't limited to two, but it's even improved with larger numbers. And while Americans prize a growing independence, which seems to have only increased in the last year and a half, God calls us to a growing interdependence. Interdependence. The enemy wants to take us down. How much we need to have others come alongside and watch our back and act in our defense. I like it, the few chapters before in 1 Samuel 19, uh, Jonathan recognizing how his dad, Saul, wants to murder his good friend David. He, he, he went to Saul and he spoke well of David to his father. He defended his friend. That's what community does. In 2004, two women Ann and Debbie were mountain biking on a wilderness trail near Mission Viejo, California. And a 110-pound mountain lion sprang from the brush and pounced on Ann's back and dragged her off by the head. And Debbie screamed for help and grabbed Ann's legs, trying to free her. And she held on until some other cyclists arrived and threw rocks at the cat, and it fled. Later in the hospital, Debbie sat trembling, covered with blood, but she'd saved Anne's life. And Debbie said this, the cat had hold of her face, and I just told her I'm never letting go. Who's willing to hang on to you and never let go? Of course, that's what God has promised us in Christ. The Father's love was so great that he sent Jesus to rescue us from spiritual death, all of us born dead in sin, separated from fellowship with our creator. And Jesus, God's own son, willingly took our sin on his perfect body, was slaughtered on the cross, was torn to pieces for us, so that by his one sacrifice, all who believe are made alive. You see, in the greatest conflict of all, the war against your soul, you can't make it on your own. No one can. There is one triumphant warrior, and his name is Jesus. And through his death and burial and resurrection, those who trust in Jesus have victory over sin and death and hell. And that is one conflict you cannot ever overcome alone. The greatest community that you need is in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And once that is true, the other conflicts in your life, the outcome is improved by community. Well, that brings us to this final section of chapter 4. And I'll be honest with you, there are some interpreters, there are some scholars, there are some commentators who say that this doesn't fit with what comes before and it doesn't fit with what comes after. It's just out there somewhere. And that is a thing that I hear occasionally from scholars and writers, and I reject it every single time, every single time. I think it's poor work. I think it is uh, Here's the reality. The reality is it does fit. We just don't know how. We just haven't figured it out yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't revealed to us, given us insight in that. I think it does fit, and I, I'm going to give you my opinion as to how it fits. 
and you're feel free to reject that opinion, but uh, I'm not going to just say, hey, we're going to ignore these last few verses. No, I think it fits in very well with the rest of it. Here it goes. Community improves the outcome in your decision-making. Here are the final verses. Verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Yeah, this is hard to interpret. Absolutely. But the key here, in my way of thinking, is that we have a king who doesn't follow advice any longer. He's king, but no longer does he take instruction. He he doesn't listen. He he did, certainly he would have never been king to begin with, but now he doesn't. And this is a sure sign of foolishness, a refusal to take advice, counsel, Uh, uh, the refusal to have advisors, the refusal to have community around you. That's foolishness, but especially for a king. How do we know that? Well, the Proverbs warn us again and again of that very thing, about the need to have multiple counselors and multiple advisors when you're governing, when you're waging war. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Proverbs fifteen twenty two, Proverbs 20, verse 18, Proverbs 24, 6 are just some of the places where this is encouraged. And failure to seek advice, failure to follow advice means certain failure. That's a proverb. So even though the king had once been wise, even though he still had power, he stands alone. And his replacement, even though he could come from a poor background, disadvantaged background, he accepts advice. So he's going to be the successor. Now in the end, Solomon says it's all meaningless anyway because all human kings get left behind. All human kings get forgotten. No earthly reign is eternal. But overall, the point is clear that God created us with a need for community. God didn't design us for independence. He designed us for relationship and companionship, first with him and then with others. At creation, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Do you understand what that means? That means that without companionship, we're not even happy in paradise. Do you realize how important it is? You say, okay, well, then God created woman. But that marriage is not God's highest ideal. That, that's not what that, God did not design all of us to be married. So that's not the overarching principle. The overarching principle is that we're no good alone. We need others. Um, I challenge you today to fight against an independent culture. I ask you to struggle against whatever impulse there is in you as there is in me to go it alone. And I call you to be a community of God's people. Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in, an embrace of community, I am not myself by myself. That struck me. I'm not myself by myself. So a few years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, I said to Amy, if I died tomorrow, um, who would you get to carry my casket? Like, let's make a list. You make a list, I'll make a list. So she shared her list first, and she got to the sixth name. I mean, I wasn't disapproving of any of her names. She got to the sixth name, and at... As a comment, she said, if he'd come. I'm like, why are you picking any names? You don't even sure if they're going to show up or not. So we got into a fight. No, we didn't really. But So our list didn't exactly agree. I don't remember what they are. We didn't save them. So if I die tomorrow, we're in trouble. But uh, mine tended to include my more muscular friends. Because I don't want them dropping the casket. But all of them were people who have been there through the good and the bad. People I would call in the middle of the night right now 
if I needed help? Who would drop everything for you? We need those kinds of relationships. If you're part of God's family, you need to build community with that family. How? Being in a smaller group of people you can get close to. I treasure all the small groups that I've been part of, the grow groups, the leadership classes, the discipleship classes, the the elder meetings, the staff meetings. I treasure those. That's where relationships are built, tested. John Eldridge wrote this. He said, when when he left Rivendell, Frodo didn't head out with a thousand L's. He had eight companions. And Jesus didn't march around backed by hundreds of followers either. He had 12 men, knuckleheads every last one of them. But they were a band of brothers. Eldridge says that that's the way of the kingdom of God. Though we're part of a great company, we're meant to live in little platoons. The little companies we form must be small enough for each of the members to know one another as friends and allies. You need, and I need, a platoon of other believers. A group in which to grow. Have community. In that way, you add strands of relationship and and twine them around your life and make it stronger. When Speaker of the House Sam Rayburn heard that he had terminal cancer, he shocked everyone when he announced he was going back to his small town in Bonham, Texas. People said to him, they've got the finest facilities in the country here in Washington, D.C. Why go back to that little town? Rayburn said, because in Bonham, Texas, they know if you're sick and they care when you die. People of God, be part of a group that knows if you're sick and cares when you die. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have community with the Godhead Thank you that you've created us for community in so many different ways. Lord, may we look to you. May we seek you and how to live this life for your glory, not apart from you, but for your glory in all the ups and downs that we experience day in and day out. Lord, empower us by your spirit to live, to be like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. While we remain under the sun, we have great hope in the risen sun. I invite you as we close our service to stand with us again as we sing in honor of him. Christ is risen from the dead. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the
reminder that there will be elders here at the front to pray with you, to pray for you, if you choose as we close this service. Receive this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.